Welcome to Hugging the Cactus and the Keep Going Podcast. I'm Andy Signor. I'm so excited to be here with you to share some serious subjects, real talks, and I'm so happy to have someone I really have come to look up to. Uh, I'm really impressed with what he's done. Sean Chandler is here. Hey, Sean. Hey, thanks for having me. Sean, I appreciate you. Uh, you uh, do an awesome YouTube channel for those that don't know. Uh, it's called Sean Talks Movies. Uh, you can check it out on YouTube. Uh, you can also find him on Twitter. Sorry, I dropped my mouse. You can find him on Twitter <laughs> over at Kirk Never Died. Uh, Sean, you, uh, you're doing really well on YouTube. It's a hard thing to crack, uh, and you managed to get there. But I know it wasn't an easy journey for you. I know you had some struggles in your life, and I thought this would be a – I'd love to get in that. You were willing to share. And so mm-hmm. I thought this topic of, of – we talked about a little – I've, I've known, learned a little bit about your story, but uh, this idea of how to get the strength to admit you're struggling yeah. is something that I, th- I really connected to as we were st- starring, and, and I – this show is all about trying to find those specific topics and get into them. But I want to share your story. So I want to talk about that, that figuring out when, when you, you, you realized you needed to admit you were having a struggle with, I think, mm-hmm. I think a lot of people struggle with, right. When admitting, Oh, I have a problem or yeah. I need to do something. So before we get to that, I, I'd love to sort of talk about your background. Where, so let's start at the beginning. Uh, you, I know you had uh, your, your father, there's this story is going to talk about alcoholism and a lot of stuff, but let's mm-hmm. start back early. Tell me where we can start. Your, your dad originally had, had problems with alcoholism. Yes. Yes. Yeah. There's, um, a good bit of alcoholism in my family. And I believe my grandfather on that side of the family for a period of time also struggled with it. But, you know, all my memories from childhood of spending time with dad were basically of him drunk when he got home. He was a highly functioning alcoholic. He was a very successful businessman, uh, was an early employee for Dell, so knew Michael Dell by name and, and stuff like that. So, um, But he would just get so drunk every single night and be able to go to work the next day and still be productive and successful. And uh, when I was in high school, a doctor told him, man, if you don't quit drinking, you're not going to see your son graduate. And he quit drinking for a little bit. And then he got divorced for a third time, started back up, was living by himself and just kind of descended into this drinking, drinking, drinking. And so when I was 20 years old, he drank himself to death. And so for me, I always assumed I probably had alcoholic genes. I I assumed I really should probably stay away from this stuff. I'll get myself in trouble if anything ever, if I ever head down that path. So always be very, very, very cautious. Who put, I always who, knew that. Who instilled that? He was like, like your mom, do, 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 who, where did you get that idea? You made that yourself, um, your own choice, or was there, did you have a support system around you that helped you sort of be warned, mindful of it? You know what I mean? I, I think it was just a, enough of a knowledge of the way drinking kind of works. And there's a genetic component that a lot of times family members that I, I just knew just watching him that this was probably not a good idea. So like when I was in high school, I have no stories of going to a party and, and drinking. Some of that was maybe I just happened to be in the right group of friends that, that didn't head in that direction or anything like that. But like, I mean, I never really drank alcohol even before my 21st birthday. Um, you know, sipping a beer right here, or whatever, but you know, no underage drinking or any rebellious behavior or anything like that. Um, until even after my father was dead and I turned 21, um, was the first time I ever had anything to drink at any significant amount. Was that it? Was that a, that was the, the loss of your father then? Sort of a what, what made you choose to drink then? Obviously, this was it the sadness and sort of a test of your own will. No, at it's, that point? It's the, the, it kind of strange the way it kind of played out. Um, and it kind of leads into what becomes the recurring theme, but it is a little bit what you just touched on. But um, I don't know, six months after my dad died, a year after my dad died, um, a very good friend of mine that I spent a lot of time with, a very strange incident happened where 
he was found in the theater department at the high school with a rope around his neck hanging. Clearly looks like a suicide. And through the way it played out, I kind of was the one that had to go tell my friend. And they caught him in time, put the brother in a coma. So he was iced down to, to try and keep him better. And um, the, the guy has claimed it wasn't a suicide attempt. It was just a weird accident. But like what it was kind of one of those strange incidents. And so that night, that guy came over to my house and he's like brought some alcohol over. And he's like, hey, man, I just need to decompress. So we're just at my house. I'm over 21. Like there's just no. Like, sure, man, if you want to decompress by drinking, whatever, let's, let's do this. And so that's the first time I ever really drank, ever first time I ever got drunk was this incident where processing his brothers in a coma. And um, I had fun. It was normally fun to drink. And the first time you enjoy that type of social lubrication, it's like, oh, this mm-hmm. is actually pretty cool. Okay, I can actually see the appeal in this now. Right. And then the next time I ever drank was like my grandma died. The whole family was getting together at the post- funeral get together and I drank and that kind of what it turned into for several years there is just when something bad happened I, I would drink but nothing it was always I, don't drink more than once per month I was always kind of putting these cautions in place and then um after I'd been married at, right at our one-year anniversary our apartment got broken into and like we got cleaned out um, and we'd been out of town for the weekend, came home, went to open the door and the lock, deadbolt lock or the chain lock was on the inside. And we're like, wait, how would we even lock this? That doesn't make any sense. And we looked through and everything was just turned over. And we're like, oh, crap. And so it just kind of turned into the first time where I ever just drank for a week, like every free time. It was, I, um, it was break. I was on vacation, basically. So I could just drink without any concern. And it's the first time I ever did that as a coping mechanism for tragedy. That just seemed to be the recurring pattern in all of this. And um, so the thing we hadn't touched on too much that uh, I was going to school to work in church world. So graduated from college shortly after this, where we got broken into and became a youth pastor at a church. So basically working with the teenagers. So I would teach Sunday, the class for the high schoolers and the middle schoolers council high schoolers do a lot of event planning, but working with teenagers and backup doing a little bit of preaching, that sort of thing. And I wasn't at a church that was in, in any way hypercritical of drinking. You know, one of the elders at the church openly brewed his own beer and, you know, they would do wine drinking um, at some of the men's and women's retreats and stuff like that. So it wasn't like drinking was anything that would have been frowned upon. And if anyone saw the amount that I drank at this point in time in my life, no one would say like, this guy's got a problem. They would right. just be like, oh, in light of your family history, maybe you should be a little bit more cautious. But it, I mean, it was very much intentional with the kind of control. And then the first couple of years I was at the church, a lot of just kind of stuff went down. Um, the most church drama I've ever been a part of happened in that first two years I was there. Just coincident, there's some stuff happened and I became the target of a bunch of people. So it was under a lot of stress, but there was also a bunch of really great things that happened. And as a guy that was like 26 years old, didn't really know how to process a lot of it. So then it turned into Sunday nights the way did I, and, and, and then my Sundays were very long days because we church Sunday morning and then I had to, we were a portable church, so I'd have to set everything up, tear everything down, set up somewhere else. And I'd do an event with teenagers, so it'd be like 18-hour days on Sundays. So I was running on Red Bull all day long, highly stressful. And so I would decompress Sunday nights by drinking a little bit and kind of set that as a pattern once per week. It's okay. And then if anything else happened, if there's any tragedy, something else stressful, hey, something bad happened. There's always that excuse 
something bad enough happened to kind of break some of these rules I set for myself. Well, and I was going to ask, was that that's always what triggered it? Or were there times in success where you're like, I had a good day. You know what? Let's celebrate. It was yeah, always. I, um, I mean, sure. There was, there was some celebratory there. Was, I mean, there was some occasional just kind of, kind of for fun. Um, I don't, you know, whenever my 30th birthday rolled around and some buddies came over. I mean, there was, there was some, some of the, just the fun one too, from time to time. So it was growing uh, from just, from just the tragedy to celebrate. That's why I'm yes. just trying to get the, tra- there, yeah, okay. There's some of that in there. Yeah. Um, but it was trying to never, and I guess the other problem I always had was that I was never the guy that could just drink one beer. I was never the one beer guy. Uh, it was always like, if I'm drinking, let's go for it. Um, um, and I think that's just some part of my personality of why could I be successful on YouTube? Cause I just have a, like, if I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it. And that tied into drinking as well. And so, um, I kind of had this pattern that was once per week and then maybe twice per week. And I remember one specific day about 2011 ish where I had something to drink and my wife had seen me drink. And I remember going to our kitchen and being like, I want to drink. I know I should stop drinking. It's a bit like, and I, I thinking, I don't want, I know she won't want me to, so I better keep it from her. And like even doing something funny, like moving the door of the refrigerator just so that she couldn't see where I was at and pouring myself a couple more shots so I could drink just a little bit more without her knowing. And I had this thought, wait a minute, isn't this what alcoholics do? Oh, wait, why? And I, you know, rationalizing back and forth, like, I know this is the behavior of an alcoholic, but I'm only doing so much. There's always a series of rationalizations where even though I was crossing a boundary I'd set for myself of what I thought was wise for me, some rationale and justification. And where everything kind of started to just fall apart, crumble in December of 2012, where a key context here, I was working with teenagers at a church. And so a a 16 year old girl from a very prominent family committed suicide, very popular at the high school family, very well known in the community. And I mean, shot herself in the head and it rocked the community. And so they kind of brought in all the, all the pastors, any social workers, to help with kids um, on site at the high school. And so then I spent like a day, like a whole day just counseling kids on uh, suicide. And I, like, I'm actually a highly introverted person. People assume because I can do on stage stuff, because I'm a YouTuber guy and wave my hands around real fast, that I'm very extroverted. I'm not. And I like, I actually not wired very well to be a pastor at all. I'm wired very well to be an event person, a personality but the pastoral side of sitting down counseling people is very taxing on me. Well, it's taxing on anybody. I mean, that is the, sure, yeah, that's yeah. the tragedy of then having all these kids to Absolutely. come to you to, add, to help you get through that. When you're mm-hmm. probably having your own mm-hmm. serious thoughts, that's intense. Yeah. And so then it, it kind of turned into, it, it, because the person was so well known, it had big trickle down in all sorts of kind of different ways. And then going into 2013, it was this year where, about every two or three weeks, someone died that was under the age of 60. Um, it just a, a year of tragedy, basically. And people were in car accidents and just all sorts of things that were just kept triggering. Like, well, this is a good excuse. This person died. And then four months after that suicide, another suicide happened. It was one of my students from my from my church. Like, he was in my small group. 
and I, you know, I'd known him very well for the previous four or five years, knew his parents very well. I was at his house right after it happened, talking with his parents. And I was already running on empty when that happened and going, it was right before summer season, which was my busiest season work-wise at the church. And it just kind of turned into every day was an excuse. And I just very quickly went from once a week drinking, two times per week drinking to this is what I'm doing all the time. And it went from I'm drinking because of sadness to that uh, the actual addiction took over. I need to drink because I'm awake. And like always thinking, how can I get another drink and how do I keep it a secret from my wife? And so this is uh this that probably started about summer probably all of 2013. I you know I don't know the exact time frame on when that transition took place, but it was an escal like it just the escalation was very quick from when that suicide happened and just so much stress that I just drank for tragedy and then it the addiction took over. So by uh, February 2014, my daughter first daughter was born. And my wife was like, you've got to get help. Like, you, this is getting out of control. Like, you you have to do something. And, and this is where fear took over. This is where my, the fear side of it was like, wait, this is, yeah, you're right. This is no longer, it was a bad day, so I drank. I'm just drinking. Like, and I'm lying about it a lot. Well, and I was going to ask I, that, did, was she, because that's that struggle of asking for the help, right? Then mm-hmm. did, was she... How much had you really told her? Had she been seeing that you were drinking too much and trying to stop you and you shrugged it off and, oh, it's fine? Was was there some of that going on? Yeah. I mean, it, it was the, you know, when there's a big tragedy, she wasn't like, what? Why are you drinking on this bad? Like, she certainly But she, she, you were saying you started drinking daily. She had noticed that. Did she know you were? She knew it was increasing. She knew it was escalating. But, but I knew she wouldn't want me to do that. And so then it turned into how do I hide this? Right. That's what what she, knew, she wasn't aware of how extreme it was getting is what I was just making sure. I but then she became aware that she didn't wasn't aware. She became aware of the lying, which is even worse. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so that's where the real nightmare, where the real damage to um, the marriage, uh, to my family and really to myself came in to where it was like, I have to. I can't stop doing this and I'm lying to keep doing it. And at the core of it, it was, I was afraid if I do all the things I need to do that I know I need to do to get help, then I'll I'll probably lose my job. If I, my skill set is tied to church world. I don't know what I would ever do if I wasn't in church world. That's my brain couldn't think beyond um, what other job I would get. And having been through all of this, the, the realities, those weren't unfounded. Like when I, when I, uh, well, we'll get, when we get to it, um, it, I couldn't really easily find a job. I didn't know what to do. And I have all these skill sets that are very useful, but I had the um, everyman version of it. Like all these, I know how to do all these things. And so it's just afraid. What will I do if I find out? So February, 2014, daughter's born. Wife is like, we can't do like you're, you're, this is getting out of control. And they're more and more kind of weird escalation type things were happening. And so she's like, you need to go help. So I started going to AA, Alcoholics Anonymous, but I wasn't really sold on it. It was like me still just trying to willpower through stopping. So I would stop for two months and then I would like hard relapse. And then I would stop for two months and hard relapse. And every time I'd relapse, I'd try and keep it a secret. So the trust was broken more and more and more. 
And with the way drinking works, like you, you go back to as bad as you were, except your body's kind of adjusted. So you start doing serious damage to your body. And I just didn't even know a lot of that. And, um, and then a year after that, she finally like, I'm going to leave you if you like, I mean, it was like these sorts of like, you have to stop. And so I had about nine months of just stopping kind of willpower wise, but it was, they, they call it being kind of like a dry drunk of you still have all the deception. You still have all the issues, even though you're not drinking. And so I had like nine months of that where I was mostly pretty successful. And then some stuff started happening. Like I was looking for a dip to work at a different church and it was kind of time to move on. And that just led to a ton of stress. Cause I'd been there for eight years at this point in time. So this is going to 2016 and I had some really big setbacks, didn't get a job. And it was just real heartbreaking. And then I just hard relapsed and I was just like basic out of control base. I mean, bonkers out of control up to this point in time. I'd been a very functional alcoholic that only my wife knew something was, and my mom knew something was up. I'd been able to use my social awkwardness to cover up for hangovers and stuff like that. And then leading into um, June of 2016, I mean, I was, I just like, it had completely taken over. I was out of control. So right before the biggest event that I did at the church every year, it was like a week long retreat with a group of teenagers where I'd take 150, 200 teenagers off somewhere. Um, had this hard relapse it was acting weird at church that like very off I mean um, and someone finally noticed and so we go to this event and I'm in I'm in uh, um, uh, in withdrawal I'm having withdrawal symptoms at this event and a guy started confronting me like what's wrong like have you been drinking like I've seen weird you I've never seen you like this. I've never, whatever this is, this is something different. It's like, no, man, I just, I haven't been sleeping well. I haven't been feeling well. All of those things were true, but they were symptoms of like alcohol. They were, right. they're all related to the drinking. And so I lied to still the guy. Still struggling with, exactly. You would, you still weren't comfortable to tell any of these people the real struggle you were having. And so that, um, but so this guy confronting me, that gave me just enough of a like, wait, like, okay, is this thing about to collapse on me? And the guy basically is like, man, I, I, I trust you. I believe you. But if you're, if you're this off, you need to go home and get a good night's sleep, whatever you need to do. So I go home uh, two days into this event. So it's unheard of for me to go home two days into this event unless I'm sick and show up at my house. And my wife is there and she's like, what are you doing home? I was like, well, I, um, Brent sent me home because he thought I was acting weird. What do you mean you're acting weird? Like, uh, well, he, he thought I'd been drinking. And so to her knowledge, I haven't had anything to drink in basically nine months she's like why did he think that uh because i was uh because i had been drinking the night before heavily and it was lingering in my system and and she's like she and so she was basically done she's like you know you you have to like this i i said that i'm not doing this anymore i'm not doing this anymore you're gonna go tell them or i'm gonna tell them i was like well we can't do it right now we gotta wait and more excuses more lies more trying to manipulate things and then that night I, I went to, was trying to sleep and I couldn't. And I'd been hearing like weird things the last two days. And I just started like, let me just Google search symptoms of like, what's the, of withdrawal. And I start reading about it and I start realizing like how serious my symptoms are. Like I'm having auditory hallucinations and I start reading it. And I could, I watched my dad die from drinking. And I'm like, it's only about 10 years earlier than this. And I was like, wait a minute, this is like, 15 years earlier. So I'm seeing the patterns that were happening in my dad before he died. Like, 
oh crap like what wow and and it was the thing that kind of like snapped me out of it and at five in the morning i woke my wife up and i said all right i'm done we're we're doing this now <laughs> this is going down so i called up my mom at five in the morning and said hey we're coming over to to drop the kids off um i'm gonna go into an emergency care clinic do whatever they need to flush my system and i'm gonna tell the church everything give them the full i'm gonna own this whole deal um and that was a uh yeah first week of june 2016 when that went down wow and then that 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 was the turning point for you you were able to to keep it since then Mm -hmm. so i I, I mean bravo for you to to find that so i i have some questions because it's that it's 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 that's i'm sure a lot of people who watching can relate or are stuck in that what it it, it was remind because you had so many people in your life who were so obviously important to you giving you those warning signs you saw it I think even beyond just alcoholism, I, I can, in my own infidelity, I can relate to this story, right? A lot of people are sometimes living a lie or hiding something or afraid to admit something. Uh, what, 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 I want to talk about that, but what do you, why even your own wife, like, why do you feel, it sounds like your wife's amazing and was able to stand by a lot of that, right? And kept trying to, to get yeah. you to those things. Why, what do you think it was that just made you keep not being able to be honest to her? Uh, I mean, it's just always the fear of consequences, and, it, and the, the lie in so much of this is you always t- keep telling yourself, oh, one more time. All right. I just want to have one more weekend. Like, I'm just going to, if I do this, then I'll stop Monday. And you stop for two days and then there's always another excuse. There's always another reason. So, I, you know, I just kept running that through my head. I can fix myself tomorrow. I can fix myself next week. I can do this. This time it'll be different. And it's just a series of lies. And um, so... Um, when everything went came public, sent that day, sent it out to the church and just owned it and or sent it out to the leadership of the church. And um, basically they're like, hey, let's not share this today because kids are in the middle of a week. that's a little bit too important, but we're going to announce it on Sunday. And then there's a little bit of back and forth in it. But basically, it, whenever it was kind of announced to the church that it, it would turn into basically my resignation that Sunday. And then the, the church funded all of my rehab. They funded wow. all of it. And then wow, they, they get that's, funded that's amazing. Um, uh, for the next three months and did everything they could to help me um, try and search for another job. It didn't pan out any of the stuff they did, but the, you know, they, we were still at that church. We still volunteer there. And actually just um, two months ago, I preached in big church there again for the first time in four years, but uh, they, you know, they were great. I, some people have horror stories about church and you come forward with your sin and it's a nightmare for you. That wasn't my experience. There was a lot of grace involved in the whole process and it was also a process where my wife was the one that had to take the blunt of it because people didn't want to talk to me about it because they didn't know how to approach me. So then she had to be the person to be the middle person. And then they pointed fingers at her like, wait a minute, how, what did you know? And when did you know it? Right. Wait, if you knew this, why didn't you like, he, he's working with teenagers. He's a drunk. Didn't he, did he drive teenagers? Did this happen? Did, and there's all these questions that um, there's no good answers for. There's no answers that you could give that would be satisfying in either direction. Um, right. And no matter what you say, people assume a lot more. They fill in gaps because it's which complicated. Is, which is amazing that she was able to stick through it, but also it's got to be rough for you to know you're putting and, her mm-hmm. through that to have to yeah. make her make excuses or justify or mm-hmm. make her seem like she was culpable in this, which she clearly right. wasn't. She was just trying to support you. And then likewise, the church very suddenly at their busiest time um, – didn't have a youth pastor, didn't have like, I, I, there was things I could help with because I wasn't gone, but I wasn't doing the work anymore. So then all of my volunteers had to pull up the slack. My, um, my interns, I'd, I'd hired two interns two weeks before all of this. And then suddenly they were, had no boss. Right. And so I was just like a serious, like all the people that I cared about, loved the most 
my best friends, my family, they had to carry the weight of what I did. Um, well, I think it's and, important because you're pointing out a lot of the reasons probably why you didn't do mm-hmm. it because all these exactly. things that are falling apart, the job, the people that rely on you, your wife, these are the reasons, right? Why we mm-hmm. keep secrets or don't, or think right. we can't. I, I, as we're, as we're getting to the, I, I want to share sort of the positive because first of all, bravo on your sobriety and getting to this point, your success, you've managed to bounce back, but that, that struggle of coming to terms with that, that, that. How do you, what do you advise people who are struggling with that? Well, I can't tell my wife, I can't tell my job, I can't tell my people. I feel like most people don't realize they're doing more damage by not mm-hmm. telling versus right. the telling, right? Can, or do you have another feeling on that? Yeah, I mean, I think that's the, it's, I think it's filled with deceptions and lies at the core of it. And, you know, I'm coming from a religious perspective. And um, the you know the religious word for some of this is sin when you're lying to people mm-hmm. and the bad stuff you do. And what I you know what I, what I taught for years before this is sin makes you stupid. And then you have that moment where you realize I'm like the ultimate example of that because this was also stupid. If three years earlier, whenever I first started getting out of hand, I said went to the elder board and said, "Hey guys, for the last two weeks I've been drinking because I this is too much for me." They would have said, "Man, you need to take a month off, and we're going to do what we can to make sure." And they would have helped me. Um, but because it turned into, I'm a full blown alcoholic it, that for three years has been lying to them. There's like, obviously there's a lot of things that have to be worked through on that. Right. There's not like for good reason. And, you know, the fear from, in my case of when you're the, the drunk pastor, from my perspective, I, no church should hire me at that moment in time. I needed to work through a lot of things. I was, was not a person that should be in that, those types of settings. And so, you know, all those fears of what would I, what would I do next kind of drove it. But um, because I kept lying, the, the, the sin, churchy word, grows in secret when you hide it. When it's the it's same thing as molds, funguses. Why, when you tone it over the log, is it grows? Because the gross stuff grows in secret. So the more longer it's in secret, the bigger it grows, the worse it gets. And then um, – I think this is certainly spiritually true, but true just in general. It says in James that uh, God opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble. And, you know, pride is, man, I need to keep my reputation. Pride is I can fix myself. Pride is I can overcome this as long as I just put enough effort. And as long as I was trying to fix myself in secret, I've kept, I failed every single time really bad. And then when I got to the point in time where I said, I don't care what happens to me. I don't care what people think about me. I don't care about my job, my reputation. I care about getting me healthy. I care about my family. I care about my friends. I care about all of that more than I care about. Um, I care more about being a good person and a healthy person than looking like a good and healthy person. And then, you know, turned to churchy with it, um, you know, surrendered in the spiritual sense of to uh, like, I literally went to the leaders of the church and I said, whatever you guys want me to do, I'll do it. Like, I'm going to trust you guys to guide me. And whatever you tell me to do at this moment, I'm going to follow your lead to how, how I should get healthy. Cause my plan, it did not work. So I trusted the community of my church. And um, uh, th- that was the transformative part for me that it stopped being about me fixing myself. And it became surrendering, trusting God, trusting like my church community. Well, I mean, and you need to be applauded because you, you did the, the hardest thing, which is admitting you had a problem. Right. And, and I think that some, some people need to hit rock bottom yeah. before they can even address that issue. I, I mean, in my own case, like, right. I, I was a cheater and I, I didn't, 
I, I reached out to a friend once and he didn't, he didn't know how to respond. Right. And I, yeah. I, I tried like I needed help and I, I didn't know. And I, I, and then part of me is like, oh, I'm cheating. Maybe I should go to some treatment myself. And why am I cheating my wife? Like maybe there's, maybe I'm a sex addict, whatever these things are. Uh, and you, and then you, you, it scares you like, well, crap, if I do that, all of this mm-hmm. will be exposed. All of this will happen. Yeah. So that, that I, I, it's, it is a real struggle that people have in various right addictions or yeah. problems that they're going through. So uh, kudos again to, to getting to a place where you could figure that out. How do you, what do you advise people? Like, how do you, how do people get there? Right. How did you, do you, is there advice you could have given yourself? Do you think you could have, is there anything that could have changed it to help you find that discovery sooner? Or do you think you needed I, to get to the point you did? Excuse me. Um, I, I, the unfortunate thing I think is there's a side to it that uh, you just have to get to that point in time where the, uh, the pain of the same is greater than the pain of change that you get, you get to a moment that you go, I can't keep this up. I have to do something and I don't care what it costs me. I'm going to, to make the change that I need to. And um, I don't know that there's something I, that I, someone had said this, or if I'd heard that, uh, I just had to reach that moment where it kind of it became clear, like, wait a minute, this is insane. I'm a hypocrite. I'm hurting myself. I might die. I, I'm uh, propping up this thing around me. Like what? There's so many bad things that could happen with the rate at which I'm getting more and more out of control. This has to stop. And it's it's tough because that, that moment, that place is different for everyone. Like I went into an, an intensive outpatient program for three months where I worked for th- three nights a week for three hours, I would go to this program. And there's a lot of people in that group that were, um, were I related to heroin addicts. So like, you know, I wouldn't immediately like, went from being pastor two weeks earlier to sitting down with heroin addict being like, Oh wow. Everything they're saying, I can relate to that. Right. But at the same time, watching some of them being like, wow, they've gone so much further. They've paid so many more like some of them have been in car accidents with their children in the car and their children were taken out of their custody because of it. And being in that moment, um, just well, like, I'm so lucky. So many more things could have happened. So many worse things could have happened that um, I think all of that just snapped me out of it. And uh, being on the other side was able to go, I I don't ever want to go back. There's just nothing there that's, uh, that's appealing about that. And I've been incredibly lucky and blessed that I, to some extent, ever since that day where I just, I'm going to rip the bandaid off or hug the cactus uh, and just went full open at acknowledging it publicly. um, I I really haven't been all that tempted to drink alcohol because that process of hugging the cactus and everything it cost me made it so unappealing. Good, um, good way to, to do that again. Good way to wrap around because I was going to get there, and as because I want to, I want to end here on sort of that positive note of you, you did it, and and I think you were lucky, right? You were absolutely lucky in that the things there are so many horror stories um, oh. of what can happen with alcoholism, and it's a real, it's a real problem, uh, and it takes uh, courage to stand up. And I hope anybody who's going through it or finds a story, even by, one person can be hear your story and think, you know what, I got to do what he did and try and make sure I can go do this. There are treatment plans, there are gr- support groups there are methods you can go out there to to do and you can also just talk to your loved ones and actually be honest uh it's the biggest thing i I think it's going to be a core theme throughout all these episodes if you can't be honest with the ones you love there's a problem right that's a huge red flag that we all need to be well aware of to to make sure we're not going down that path of 
why why can't I tell my my partner right? Um, so so bravo. Uh, but yeah, you brought it up the hugging the cactus. That to me, that's that moment of when you look in the realization and you say it's something I like to ask when it's relevant. But what was that moment for you specifically? Like because it's the hugging the cactus is right embracing that pain, acknowledging you've done that wrong, and realizing I have to really own this right. Uh, yeah. Talk just as we wrap up. What was that experience like for you? Yeah, that was. Um... I mean, it's that night in the beginning of June 2016 where um, I'd been sent home. My wife knows. She's like, this this can't continue. And I just – I start looking up stuff on withdrawal and everything and realize – like I just have this absolute realization. For years I'd thought, I, ha- I can't drink because I'll end up just like my dad. And I'm sitting there reading the symptoms being like, oh, I'm just like my dad. I'm, just, I'm just only 20 years younger than he was when he died. And it just kind of all sunk in of like, I, I, I verbalized to friends that like, I, I wanted to have kids so that I, uh, you know, to, to be a good example to them. Like I said that to people before I had kids and then had kids and I'm this out of control drunk. And um, our third child was born two years after I, I sobered up and it's a totally different experience. And I'm realizing how much I don't even remember from my first two kids in those early years, because I was just such a mess. And when I was at home at night, when I was with the kids, that I, I was drunk. And it, and um, having that moment, just processing, like I've turned into my dad, like I like I don't care what else happens to me, what the consequences are of getting healthy. I'm I'm going to do that, and if that means I don't have a career anymore, I mean I legitimately could not conceive of what, like I could not think in any way of what my future would be if I resigned. And the way, I mean, the way it played out, like I delivered paint for two and a half years. Like I had a, like, that's the only job I could get was picking up buckets of paint. And I was like, I was a leader and I was given these speeches and I was in charge of people and I had a reputation. And now I pick up paint and I'm cut like. uh, But it's also uh, kind of humbling and necessary as part of the process, don't you think? Yeah, absolutely. I I showed up to my job interview for this. This this is literally happened. Um, I showed up to job interview for the, the paint job. And walk in and I dressed up nice because it's a job interview. So new shoes and shirt and everything. And I walk into the paint store and it was like my neighbor had connections to the paint company. So walk into the office and it's dirty, just paint everywhere. <laughs> Everything's disheveled. The guy that's interviewing me clearly is significantly younger than me. And the questions are like, hey, like, uh, did, could you pass a drug test? Yeah, I, I could pass a drug test. Could, could you... Um, would you mind picking, can you pick up 50 pounds? Like yeah, I could pick up 50 pounds. All right, man, you sound like a great, like, I mean, <laughs> like, it's like, this is amazing, like candidate. And I was like, That's and it. I, like, I, I, like I was being in the meeting, like, Oh, like this is my new reality. Just sinking in of like how much, like where I, where I was to where this very short window of time. And I'd applied for some things and didn't hear back to anyone, no traction and paint job is the one that I get some traction on. It's like, man, and I go home and I literally said to my wife, like, I, th- I think I'm going to have to take this job because I just need to have some income. But if this doesn't turn into something, I don't know how I'm going to make it. Like, I don't know what I'm going to do if I can't turn this into something. And that's where kind of looping back to my YouTube channel. Why did I start my YouTube channel? Because I was unemployed and I had no friends or I'd alienated my friends because I'd just come out as an alcoholic and I'd lied to all of my friends about it. So a month after all that goes down, I go to see the new Ghostbusters movies of all movies as a date night, trying to have a positive night with my wife. 
I don't know. And went home and I was like, oh yeah, I have a dormant YouTube channel. I haven't done anything with. What if I posted a video and it came out of this period of rebuilding my life? Why was I able to build a YouTube channel? Because I had a dumb, dumb job where I picked up buckets of paint and I went home and I was like, I have to do something creative now. I have to do something for me now. So I went home and that was part of my, my process. Like at the point in time where I started my YouTube channel, I was in rehab, unemployed and um, literally rehab with, with heroin addicts and all sorts of great, like some of them real crazy people. <laughs> and that's the origin of my channel. It all came out of this story of where I, I thought I could not see the other side. I was afraid that there's nothing good can come out of this. My life is over if I come forward. And now it's like, I, I can't, I can't believe that that's what my life was for three years. Like it's, it's crazy how uh, toxic, unhealthy it was. And now on the other side of all of that, like I have a dream job of talking about movies on YouTube. And right. I and, imagine it. No. And it just, cause I, I just pulled up the channel to really, to prove this point of, I'm looking at your oldest videos and here he is, uh, you know, fireball to the face arrow season <laughs> one, you go back and then, you you took some time off six years and then suddenly four years and then you had this Ghostbusters view and you got eight eight thousand views back then is no joke yeah. uh, and it's sort of oh the algorithm's paying attention uh, mm-hmm. suddenly you do a, tw- a thirteen mm-hmm. ranking of Star Trek twenty thousand right, views the Star Trek one is the one that really yeah like, and it, I was like Wait, you're, you're watching works. how it works and you committed you kept going you did it and then so, so, you know you have some things aren't clicking they start clicking uh but you quickly start noticing okay this is how it works and four years mm-hmm. ago also let's not let's not ignore four years ago it was a little easier than starting it i feel like it's harder and harder it's getting to start there but you got in at a good time you started doing a, a specific style you got in there you didn't give up on it and i i gotta go back to saying that paint shop i i had a telemarketing job i did and it's like i hated it right but i also so am in debt to that job because right. it helped me normalize myself and like lose the ego and then also it made me a little bit more you know hungry again to get back to like doing and building it up and and, and proving right art do we have the drive to succeed and, and clearly you proved right. you did so uh we shouldn't you shouldn't knock the paint store right at the end of the day the paint store yeah, got right. you where you are right and that's the thing like you know i'm, I'm kind of I'm somewhat phrasing it in a way that's talking negative i have almost nothing bad to say about that job and it was great people great experience for me it's the reason i was able to to um um, grow my channels because of that specific job. And, um, but very much on that humbling side to it, I remember my first day on the job riding around with, um, his name is Hector. He's still a good buddy of mine. And so uh, back before theaters closed down, I would still take him to press screening and stuff like that. But first day on the job, driving around the Austin area, delivering paint. And the previous year I'd been applying for all these jobs at different churches and had interviews and I'm driving by like that, this mega church, 10,000 people. I like, I had an interview with that church and I interviewed <laughs> for that church and there's another one and, and it's in like the really swanky, nice part of town. And it would have been these highly prestigious, all this stuff. And, and now I'm, I'm literally going to be picking up paint. And the criteria for me being a good employee is that I can pass a drug test and live and 50 not pounds. show up too late. Yeah, <laughs> right. Yeah. And um, that is just certainly a humbling, humbling experience that kind of pulls out. And I think that's even some of the reason we're even been able to been healthy on this YouTube thing is that my ego had to be beaten out of me before I had any success on YouTube. Right. Well, you're more relatable now, right? You And you, you, you realize what most people in America are, which is they deliver paint. They don't have 
mega right. churches or YouTube channels like we right, we had or have. Uh, so I do think it helps. Don't yeah, and, and hopefully that that'll keep you to your roots so you don't lo- get too big of a head as you continue to talk about movies. Uh, Sean, it's a very inspiring story. I'm so grateful you you shared it with us, uh, guys. You can find him obviously over here on Sean Talks Movies or hit him up on Twitter. Kirk never died. Uh, Sean Chandler talks movies. Sean, I, I'm grateful you you've talked to me. A lot of people were afraid to talk to me. You, I, I could tell we have some kindred spirits because we've been through it, and I, I I'm inspired by your story. I hope others are as well. You seem like a very good person, a hardworking person. Guys, go support Sean. Anything else you want to plug or say as we wrap this up? I'm also very active on Instagram. Sean talks. Uh, Sean talks about is my name over there. Just on Instagram, that's the best place if you want to send me a direct message. Easiest place to get a hold of me. Go do that. Go show him some love, some support. And if you're out there with the struggle, we end, dude, the struggle is real. Uh, don't be so afraid. Ho- holding on to that lie, continuing to dig yourself into that hole, I assure you, will make it 10 times worse. Uh, so if you're out there and you're struggling with how do I, how do I just tell someone – do what Sean did. Get that strength. Uh, I, I wish I'd had the strength to do it or sooner in my life, but sometimes life will deal you the way the cards are dealt. But if you can find that strength to do it, I assure you it's going to help you in the long run. Uh, Sean, thanks again for watching, everybody. Mm-hmm. If you are tuning in, make sure to subscribe here to the channel uh, here on Hugging the Cactus. Stay tuned for more interviews here on the Keep Going Podcast. Thanks, everybody.